0: Just kidding. My name is Reanne Rodriguez. Most of you probably know that already. I can't do that, like, you know, super seriousness, though, because that's not who I am. But hey, how are you? I'm glad to see you here. Welcome to Crew Large Group. <laughs> I love Halloween Crew because I get to see you guys kind of put on some goofy personas. We got some costumes. We got some people dressing up as other people in Crew, which is kind of fun. Um, I heard Dan Castle shaved his facial hair to look like Stuart, so appreciate that, please. Um, yeah, I'm loving this. Well, hey, like I said, my name is Re-Ann. Um, This is Crew Large Group. And if you are not familiar with Crew, Crew is a community where the gospel captures hearts, transforms lives, and launches men and women into a lifelong adventure with Jesus Christ. Yeah. Okay. I've been trying to think about how I want to spend the next few minutes, but I think what I want you to do is to go find somebody whose costume you want to know more about. Go introduce yourself if you don't know them already and be friends. So go mingle. sorry it's hard to see. Hi I'm Zach.
1: Hi I'm Anna and we are
0: your student leaders for winter conference this year. (laughs) (laughs) Winter conference is an awesome time. It's a time where we get to during our winter break have fellowship um, worship and just have a great time in the grand city of Baltimore.
2: If you guys sign up
0: before December 7th, you get $60 off your winter conference cost. <laughs> so make sure you sign up soon. Start thinking about it before December 7th. And if you want to sign up tonight, we're going to have a laptop in the back after large group. Go talk to Ashley Youngblood. Raise your hand. Ashley Youngblood. Oh, <laughs> that old man right there. Go talk to the old man. She'll get you signed up. Nice and good. If you have Thank any questions, you also, you can talk to either of us or Ashley after. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Don't worry. Everything's fine. We're fine, guys. It's fine. All right. All right. So moving back into our time of uh, focus here. Uh, we're going to go into time of worship where we praise the Lord through song. Um, so go ahead and bow your heads with me. We're going to pray the band in. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you for this night. Um, thank you that we get to worship you. Thank you, um, yeah, just for giving us that opportunity. Lord, would you come and fill us this evening? Um, yeah, Lord, we just pray that you would be glorified through this worship and just help us to focus our hearts on you. In your name we pray. Amen.
2: Like, what's up, mystery gang? I mean, <laughs> what's up, guys? Um... <laughs> Thank you guys for coming out to Large Group. Um, if you guys could stand and worship with us today, that'd be like, fantastic.
3: <laughs>
2: Let Scooby do this.
4: are born, in the vapor of your breath the planets form. If the stars are made to worship stars. Praise is so Billion creatures catch your breath, evolving in pursuit of what you
1: said.
4: If it all reveals your nature, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you say, every pain sky, a canvas of your
1: grace,
4: if creation still obeys you, so will I, if the stars are made to worship, so will I, if the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. The oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For oh, if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. If the rocks cry out in silence, so will A hundred billion times God of salvation You chased down my heart Through all of my failure and pride On a hill you create Light of the world, the badness and darkness to die. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. When you lost your life, so I could find it
1: here.
4: If you let left the grave behind you so alive I can see your heart in everything you've done Every part designed the work of our called love If you gladly chose to surrender so alive See your heart a billion different ways Every precious one, a child you died to save If you gave your life to love them, so will I Like you would again a hundred billion times what measure could amount to your desire? You're the one who never leaves one behind.
1: Y'all can have a seat.
0: All right. <clears throat> Thank you, band. That's great. Um, okay. We're going to go ahead and move on. Um, the next thing that I have for you is we're going to hear from a speaker. Um, today for our speaker, we have Stuart Brunk. Just kidding. It's just Dan. Not just Dan. It's our, one of our staff members, Dan Castle. <laughs> Can you give Dan a warm welcome? Yes,
3: just Dan. Just Dan. <laughs> let's go just Dan. Thanks.
0: All right. Let's go ahead and pray for Dan, and then we'll hear from him. Um, Lord, thank you again for this evening. God, we just um, pray over this time. Again, ask that you would um, focus our hearts and minds and allow us to, um, yeah, do what you have for us. Um, We pray that you would speak through Dan and that it would be your words and not his. Um, We pray all these things in your name. Amen.
3: Thank you, Rhian. Yeah, this is my stew costume. And um, it's a little loud, Evan. Um, We all know, like, we're all aware that uh, s- <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stu has ac- absolutely zero fashion sense, <laughs> like, but, guys, I'm here to tell you, this is actually really comfy, right? Like I think <laughs> Stu might be onto something here. <laughs> um, and uh, the, the facial hair is because Stu, and actually it's kind of a crew tradition, like at conferences, like fall retreat or winter conference, which is coming up, all the guys kind of do something weird and crazy with their facial hair, and I've resisted it. So it's really funny that I find myself doing it now for, for Halloween for, for Stu's sake. So um, we can all be praying for Stu and for his fiancee, Sarah. Uh, Sarah's grandfather passed away recently, and so that's where Stu is with uh, Sarah at her Grandfather's funeral. So if you, if you think of it, uh, send him a text message, and and, and uh, tell him, let him know that you're praying for him. Anyways, so like Rian said, my name's Dan. Um, I'm on staff with Crew, meaning this is this is my full-time job to talk about Jesus with which college students. I, I hang out with y'all all the time, and we talk about amazing sorts of th- of things. Um, my wife's name is Emily, and uh, some of y'all have even got to meet her recently. You know that she does exist. Um, <laughs> Here's a fun fact. We are some of you all know this. We are in the pro- the process of. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Ben. Emily and I are in the process of adopting a child. That I, you know, we don't know the child yet. The child may not exist yet, but um, we're doing our home study right now, which is like the most, you know, intricate part of the process. And so we're le- we're hoping to have that done by the end of the year, and then we'll be kind of on our way towards. Time to dropped a child to start our family, so uh, please be praying for us. Um, If you are a regular tender of crew, you know that we are in a semester-long series on the book of Colossians. Uh, Last week, we took a break from this, and we heard from my boss's boss, Ryan Penley. And uh, wasn't it funny, Ryan played that, that movie clip, and he's like, there's no spoilers here. But it was like, that was the whole point of the clip. It was like, <laughs> no spoilers, and it's not that scary, and it's like an alien eating a guy's chest. Like, it's <laughs> it was obviously a spoiler. Um <laughs> the last time we talked about Colossians, we were in Colossians chapter 2. And we heard from Billy, who's the youth pastor at First Presbyterian downtown. Um, if you're new to Crewe, maybe you're new reading the Bible, Colossians is a book in the Bible, it's actually a letter. It's a letter written from Paul to the Christians in the ancient city of Colossae. Um, as it turns out, ancient people kind of had uh, and felt many of the same things that we experience in as modern people. And uh, much of the much of the content of the Book of Colossians is very practical. And I actually find it to be strangely relevant to modern day. Um, so w- we're going to be picking up today in chapter three. In chapter two, um, Paul was exhorting his readers, he was, he was telling his readers, be careful, be careful not to be taken captive by empty philosophy or vain worldly wisdom, things that can appear to be wise, but actually could be dangerous and could be leading you uh, astray. And um, here's, here's the key from chapter 2. The key is, rather than seeking significance from worldly wisdom and worldly pursuits, Instead, find your significance in what Jesus has done for you. And and in chapter 2, he says, while you were dead in your sins, Jesus made you alive with him, and he forgave you all your sins. That is the free gift that Christians call the gospel, this free gift of forgiveness of sins. But here's like a little hiccup I've experienced in my Christian life. Tell me if you relate to this. How is just like remembering the gospel? How is that supposed to produce life change? Especially when life feels very frustrating, when life feels just plain hard um, and difficult and painful sometimes. Some of you may even feel, after all, like if this gift of grace is actually free, hmm, then like, how is it? How? Why would I change the live the way that I live? Why? Why would it change what the things that I do? Feel you know, sometimes. Uh, these Christian truisms, like, oh, remember the gospel, or be thankful, right? Like, they can kind of feel a little bit like a waterbed. I I don't know if you all had this experience growing up, but, like, um, I had, like, a fun aunt and uncle who had a waterbed, and we we would go and play on it. It's really squishy. It's, like, impossible to jump on a waterbed, because there's no structure to it. It's really comfortable, but, like, you can't brace yourself against it. And so, some of these Christian platitudes can sometimes feel a little bit like a waterbed. It's hard to brace yourself against it when life is hard, or maybe when I'm tempted to feel like what's in front of me right now, right here, is more real than the things that God is saying. So um, I really feel like Paul anticipates this question. Like, how is that actually supposed to help me, Paul? I feel like he anticipates that because in chapter 3, he's going to move us towards grounding our life and our Christian experience in a bedrock Christian truth. I can't overstate the importance of the truth that he's going to share with us in chapter 3. In fact, I would go so far as to say that without understanding this truth that we're going to talk about, it is impossible to really understand, I mean really understand, how Jesus thinks about you and feels about you and me. So, uh, I want to play a game with you all. It's called Guess the Doctrine. (laughs) Really fun, I swear. Guess the Doctrine. I'm going to name some characteristics, some objective characteristics about this doctrine we're going to be talking about, um, and let me get through the list, but I always want to see if any of y'all have heard of this, and my guess is most of you probably have not. So, I'm going I'm to just read this list, and then at the end, I want to know if any of y'all know what I'm talking about. So, this doctrine is the basis for Jesus' discourse that he has with his Heavenly Father in John chapter 17. We know it as the high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying for his disciples. And so, the doctrine we're going to be talking about today is the basis that Jesus says He's praying in. So, number two, this doctrine is used more than any other in the New Testament to describe our relationship to Jesus, how he thinks of us, how he interacts with us, how we interact with him. More than any other, this is the doctrine that the New Testament writers use to describe that. Number three, of this doctrine, Charles Spurgeon, who is known as the Prince of Preaching, um, he said, there is no joy in this world like it. The more we feel it, the happier we are. Speaking of the doctrine, and the last thing is, this doctrine is the basis for, is the absolute ground on which the other doctrines of election, calling, regeneration, repentance, faith, justification, spiritual adoption—they all stand on this adoption, or on, or on this doctrine. So uh, I just named like seven that's not. So hopefully that maybe that helps you narrow it down. But does anyone have any guesses? What are we talking about today? Kyle? No, but that's a good guess. What is a, doctrine? a doctrine is a systematic set of beliefs, right? So like you might have a, doc- a foreign policy doctrine or the United States, this is how we interact with countries. It's foreign policy doctrine. In theological terms, a doctrine is an organized set, o- a way that we understand spiritual concepts. So something like um, faith, the doctrine of faith. We, uh, we have a definition of faith and we talk about what our faith is in. It's all comprised in the doctrine of faith. That's a great question. Thank you for asking that. It. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. no. Any last guesses? Anyone know? What you got, Ben? Oh, that's good. I, I didn't say that, but that was a good guess. Uh, no, it's, this is, we're going to be talking today about union with Christ. Union with Christ. Has anyone ever heard of union with Christ before? Yeah, not surprising. It's extremely underappreciated, but it, seriously, it is the basis. For all of these things. And it's not one of those like fluffy doctrines too. Like this has some like real substance to it. So union with Christ is the key. To all Christian ethics. It's the key to Christian life change. It grounds us. In eternal truth. Which is far greater than ourselves. And if you want. And if you were able to internalize this. I promise. And there's no way I could know if this is true. But if you were to internalize. Just a teaspoon of this truth. And place it in your heart. I promise you it would change the way that you walk around the campus. The way you see yourself, the way you speak with others. So, we're going to look at union with Christ today. Our passage is Colossians 3, is verses 1 through 14. I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we're going to read it. So, could you open your Bibles while I'm praying? <sighs> Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I pray for just that. Lord, would you take your word, would you take the truth, and would you place it deep into our hearts? Just one thing, Lord, we ask that just one thing would perhaps change us and shape us in a way that we're not, we're we're never going to be the same because of it. Would you open our eyes to hear your word, and I pray that you would give me your truth in your name. Amen. All right, so let's read it. It's Colossians 3, it's verses 1, and we're going to read the 14. Okay, here it is. I'm reading from the CSB Bible, and you can open that on your phone if that's what you want to do. So. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you, also, so you are also to forgive. Amen. So, um, before we can dive in and understand the significance of our union with Christ, there's a truth about human nature which we need to do battle with first. And, and the reason that we really need to, to hone in on this truth is because 100% you do not believe it. I I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you, as you're sitting here right now in 2301, are convinced of a lie. And the Bible and modern psychology actually agree on this one, so we need to take it seriously. So here's the truth. Fundamentally, we as human beings, fundamentally, we are worshipers, not thinkers. We are worshipers. We're not fundamentally thinkers. I think, therefore I am. Who said it? Rene Descartes. Thanks, Josiah. Um, uh, Rene, he was trying to say, what it means to be human is to think. How do I know I exist? Because I think. Right? That was his basis for human, like, you know, I don't know, like basis for like human existence. Was a thinking creature. Well, it's bunk. I'm sorry to tell you, it's bunk. Um, what it means to be a human is to be a worshiper, A lover. And and particularly, what it means to be a human is to be a lover of great things, right? And it's a gift from God that he's given us, and and we are programmed to seek after, to wonder about, to find amazement in, and to make these beautiful things the center of our life, gift that God's given us. So Jonathan Haidt, or Jonathan Haidt, he's a professor, a social psychology professor at New York University. He said this, he said, In my research, human beings evolved to be religious. He's an atheist. Um, Human beings evolved to be religious. It's in our nature. There is a God-shaped hole in the heart of each man. If there is a God-shaped hole in everyone's heart, regardless of how it came about, then it matters how that hole gets filled. Jonathan Haidt is a social psychologist, and in in his research he has found um, that Humans are at their center worshipers of deity, right? And as an atheist, you know, I wouldn't say that there is a God, just that we are designed to seek after one and to find one, right? Now, from a Christian perspective, this isn't the problem at all because we know that God has endowed us with his image and, 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 and gave us a desire to know him, right? But we want to believe that the things that we do, maybe even the things that we've devoted our life to. You guys have spent countless hours in your classes pursuing a major. We would love to believe that those decisions were carefully thought out and reasoned decisions, that we, we, thought o- we thought through all the factors and we came to the logical conclusion that this was the best thing for me to do. But the research suggests otherwise. Our nature is to look for something that's great, something greater, and to give our love and affection to it. Um, Jonathan Haidt goes on to kind of describe an elephant and a rider, right, whereas the elephant is our feelings and emotions and our love, and the rider is our reason, right? We'd like to think it's the other way around. We would like to think that our reason is the power behind our life, and our emotions are kind of along for the ride. Well, it, it, research suggests it's the, other, it's the other way around. We make decisions based on our intuition, our emotions, our affections, the things that we love and give ourselves to, and we use our reason to justify those things um, so likewise just like the things that you love about yourself and have devoted your life to are fundamentally based off of your love likewise the things that you probably hate or the things that you hate about yourself or wish you could change um, those things were not the result of bad knowledge or bad reasoning bad thinking skills those things are the result of things that you've given your love to that didn't treat you very well uh, disordered worship. Let's look at the language of the passage. How do, what, what language does Paul use to describe this? In verse 1, um, he, he's incidentally, he's speaking about it, but he says, seek the things above. And in verse 2, he says, set your minds on things above. So we are to seek and we are to set our minds on. So being a worshiper at our heart, being a worshiper at heart, means that we are programmed to seek after excuse me, seek after things that inspire awe and wonder and amazement in us. Um, here's a common human experience. That every, everyone I've ever met and talked to about this has shared this experience. We're, we're we have a deep sense inside of us that there is something that's really great out there and that I ain't it, right? It seems to be a common human experience. We know there's something that's really great that I need to find, and I know it's not me, um C.S. Lewis always, always puts it into words better than I can. C.S. Lewis talks about this. He's like, you know how when you experience hunger and thirst, how you experience those feelings because there's food and there's water that you need? Well, likewise, um, our desires have an object that they're pointed towards. They're meant to point us towards something. Um, So then it just stands to reason that if there is a desire inside of us um, and that nothing in this world can satisfy, then it just stands to reason that the desire is pointing us to something outside of this world. Um, Something incredibly culturally significant happened this week. It was about five days ago, and about a million people took it really seriously. What am I talking about? Incredible cultural moment. Our world will never be the same. Taylor Swift. (laughs) (laughs) Right? What's the name of the album? Midnight. Midnight. All the the ladies said Midnights. Isn't it incredible? Isn't it incredible how Taylor Swift, the, the world stops turning when she puts out an album and everybody loses themselves? Isn't it incredible the kind of worship that she inspires in people? I don't hold it against her. I don't think she's a narcissist and looking for, maybe you have a different opinion. Uh, But why is that? Why does her music inspire such awe in its listeners? And people drop everything to listen to her album on Spotify when it comes out. Well, it's obvious. She is tapping into something deeper that people are feeling and experiencing. And it's not reason that brings us to that. We just do it instinctively. It might not be Taylor Swift, right, but for me one of my favorite artists is Blind Pilot. If Blind Pilot put out a new album tonight, there's a good chance I would drop, stop this talk and like go and, and get it. Um, uh, and th- truth be told, I kind of feel bad for it because that is a crushing <laughs> weight of expectations. She has the like the whole 18 to 22 year old female world <laughs> is like looking at her like this god. Um, and actually, she kind of wrote a song about it on this album, right? Didn't she write a song about, like, the crushing expectations that she places on herself? And um, wh- What's the name of that song? Anti-hero. Yeah, anti right. It's about how she kind of feels the weight of, like, not being perfect. Um, we can hardly help it. It's not her fault. We hardly help it. We are programmed to seek after higher, wonderful, spiritual experiences. It's a gift that God gave us. Um, and being a worshiper at heart, so we seek these things, but being a worshiper at heart also means that what we set our mind on is going to direct and inspire our actions. What we have set our mind on is going to direct and inspire our actions. Look at verse 3. He says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. To set your mind doesn't mean think really hard about it. That's not his encouragement here. Just sit down and think about it, right? Not think really hard about it. It's not learn a lot about it. It's about allowing the thing to capture our mind, to captivate our hearts and our minds. Um, Being as we are, being an imaginative, worship worshipful creature it means that deep inside us our nature um, we have a desire for this hard to pin down good life. This image of human flourishing. The good life out there I know I can have it but what is it? It, It's like we know that there's true human flourishing out there for us. It's available. We, We think other people have it but like I don't Someone else, you know, I, I could get it one day. Our imaginations, what we think about when we think about X is our vi- our, our, our vision of the good life. Our imaginations are magnetically inclined towards it. So um, whatever that thing is, whatever you tell yourself, oh, if I could just get that, then I would have the life that I know, I know that I want, that thing um, will be, be the direction that our actions take us towards. And it, you just All you have to do is, is work backwards. And tonight, when you lay your head down on your pillow, think, what, what's the last 24 hours? What are all the things I did in the last 24 hours? And I bet you, I bet you, that there is this vision for what human flourishing is at the end of that rainbow. This is going to be a wonderful gift, absolutely wonderful gift. It propels us towards God, it pr- propels us towards Godly things but it can also Be a terrible curse depending on What has captured Our mind or what we Have set our mind on The heart that Is captured by for instance evil Desires Things that the world kind of Produces and, and puts out On a silver platter The, th- the heart that's, pr- that's captured by those Will produce things that lead To death and Paul Takes a little bit of time to list some of those out. In verse 5 he says, these are the things that belong to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. In verse 8 he gets another list. He says, put away all these things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language. These are the things that are the worshipful acts of a vicious idol. These are the actions that idols demand of us. And, and we can see it in our culture. The vitriol and the, and the viciousness and the lying and the slander that we see around politics, sometimes around sports, sometimes around social events, right? It, it, it just points towards a, a little g God that loves those things. And nobody reasons their way into those things. No one, no one sits around and thinks, hmm, what would I love my life to be about? Malice? Slander? Anger? Vicious language? Yeah, I think I'll, I think I'll go for that. No, these, are th- these come slow, and they come, s- they come uh, slow and steady, almost imperceivable little acts of worship that we give ourselves to this idol. And before we know it, it has captured us. It's got our heart, and, and what it's producing is fruits of it. So since we didn't reason our way into these sins, we can't reason ourselves out of them You're not just gonna think your way out of being captured by an idol But what is God's solution to this? What is God's solution to our disordered worship the love that we've given to vicious? taskmasters well while we were in our sin while we were here loving these false gods the true God, he came to us. He entered into our situation. And he, does, he makes the first move, but he doesn't come with a list of do's and don'ts. He's not like, I'm so glad I found you. Here's, here's what you need to know. Don't do these, do these, and you'll be fine. He doesn't come offering us a list. He comes offering us a new identity. Our new identity Is one that is united with Christ. That's ultimately what union with Christ is all about. It's not about some more knowledge for you to learn, not about a new book for you to read. It's an identity for you to have. It's it's an identity for you to be known by and and for you to know yourself by. Let's let's start, let's look look at the language of the text. In verse 1, he says, So if and, and anytime time you see this, like, so if type phrase, um, it, it's not actually like a conditional phrase. It's not like, if it's true, then here. It's like, so since this is true. So since you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. In verse 2, he says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Why, why, why is he telling us to set our minds on things above? And why does he tie it to, the location of Jesus, where Jesus is. Well, we, we set our minds there because that's where Jesus is, and Jesus, in a spiritual but intensely real way, has taken you there with him. Right In Ephesians 2, he talks about this. like He has seated us with him at the right hands of God in heaven. So Jesus is there, and, and he's taken us there with him, n- not figurative language. Like spiritually, he has united us with him. Verse 3, for you, the, the old you, that is, for you died. And your life now is hidden with Christ in God. You may be reading this and you may be thinking, oh, that's, this is really nice. This, this all sounds great. Um, sounds like Jesus really has some good feelings about me. Jesus, he thinks really fondly of me. Um, that's, that's not what this says. That's, sure, that's true. That's true. That's not what this is teaching. This this goes beyond what Jesus thinks about you or, or feels about you. What, what this means is that Jesus has inextricably united our life to his life. The th- and the things that are true of him, he makes become true of us as well. Like actually true for you. The things that God, the Father, thinks about Jesus. Jesus attaches those to you, and, and he, he feels that way about you. So look at some of these promises. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, and Jesus brings you there with him. Jesus is holy and dearly loved. And, and, and in, in verse 12, we are called holy and dearly loved. Even this, fu- this is kind of scandalous, actually. Even this like future glory that belongs to Jesus, this moment wha- of glory... Jesus attaches to us. Um, there there is a real sense in which Jesus is saying to those who place their faith in him, he's saying, "I'm not coming back here unless you're going to be there with me. Like imagine having a friend like maybe maybe you guys have had friends that like would bring you on their family vacations and stuff like that, and anyone do that with their friends? I didn't really have friends like that, but yeah, that's like a pretty common experience um, that you know like a child kind of way that actually feels really great to have a friend that's like i don't want to go on this without you right i want i want you to come on my family vacation well would it surprise you to learn that jesus says i'm not coming back to to to, to his creation i'm not coming back unless i can take you with me all right that goes beyond just i kind of like you or like yeah you're you're not so bad i think i'll hang out with you um There's an Old Testament story of Jacob and Esau. Y'all, Any of y'all Sunday school kids remember that one? <laughs> Jacob and Esau were these twins. Who was their father? Isaac, right? Yeah, right, right. Uh, Isaac was like a patriarch, right? And uh, Jacob and Esau were twins, but Esau came out first. So he was the firstborn. And because he was the firstborn, he had a blessing that belonged to him, his father's blessing which in the ancient world actually carried some real weight because that meant you got got the the fortune, right? Um, Well, Jacob, who goes on to be this big hero in the Bible, Jacob is a conniving liar. And Jacob and his mom sort of like concoct this scheme to steal Esau's birthright. Esau apparently was like a kind of a hairy guy and his father and, and Isaac was going blind. And so they knew that we can trick your father into thinking you're Esau. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna kill a goat. We're gonna put the skin on you. And when your father comes and he feels your arm, he's gonna feel you're really hairy. And he's gonna think, "Oh, this is Esau." And he's gonna give you his birthright. And the plan works exactly as as you know, like they planned it. Who and Esau was in, like infuriated. Um, and Jason, Jacob like tricks his father into receiving what belongs to Esau. Well, um, this. This idea of union with Christ harkens back to this Old Testament idea. Think about this. Um, Being united with Christ in this real inextricable way, being united with Christ means that, like Jacob went before his father, we come before God, not with a goat skin on, but we come with Jesus' righteousness. Like a slain animal, we wear Jesus' righteousness before the father. And the blessing that Jesus deserves gets given to us as if we are Jesus. But it's it's not a trick. It's not like we tricked God into doing this. This was their idea from the beginning of time. The Father and the Son were concocting this divine conspiracy, as Dallas Willard calls it, this divine conspiracy to bestow this eternal blessing on his broken creatures that he has mercy for. It was their idea, and, and, and we get the blessing. Jesus says to his father, I'm not going anywhere without Anna. I'm not going anywhere without Brad. And so, so he places, and they're, they're you know, tied together, so right, you know. And so Jesus, he, he places his righteousness on you, and he, and he takes you before the father. And he says, whatever belongs to me, I want him to have it too. I want her to have it, too. And, and and whatever he has coming for him, give it to me. I'll, I'll take it. And he does. He places it on his body, on the cross. And, and rather than reluctance, rather than, like, being blinded, God the Father's like, I couldn't have said it better myself. I love it. Let's do it. Do you see? Do you, do you see this? This identity of being united to Christ, this identity needs to be the basis for our Christian life and experience. All other elements of the Christian life fall underneath of this, that Jesus and the Father love you so much that they would unite their life to you. And all the blessings that come with it. Union with Christ means that God is not just interested in keeping you out of trouble. Union with Christ means that since He has united you with His Son, God is committed to getting the trouble out of you, right? All of the 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 Christian life and the frustration and the toiling over sin. Being united with Christ means that God's not going anywhere in that. Like this, this is what He wanted. He wants to make you like His Son. Uh, Tim Keller he says, the only thing with the power to expel an old king from our hearts is the exculpatory power of a new king. The only thing that gets that old life out of us is the powerful love of a new life given to us. So, um, union with Christ, it means that, that we've put off that old self. And then we put on a new one. When we live by our old earthly nature, it's it's, it's kind of like, it's almost like we're trying to revive life into a dead person. It's like a losing battle. And also, why? Like, why? Uh, every time I go home to my parents' house, I'm always amazed at all the old stuff my mom has ke- kept from my childhood. And, like, a lot it's like clothing, too. It's like old long johns and, like, a random pair of pants and like a sweatshirt and I'm like, Mom, why do you have this? Well wouldn't it be silly if I like brought that stuff back with me here and I'm like trying to squeeze into this old pair of pants for like when I was twelve years old and, and I came to large group, I'm like, hey guys, nothing wrong here. You'd be like, damn, what are you wearing? <laughs> why are you do-? and yeah, in a sense, I'm the same person I was when I was twelve. Like I'm still Dan. But in like a very more real sense, I'm nothing like I was when I was twelve. And the Physical growth I've experienced since I'm 12 years old. It's just that's just the first thing about it. Um, for the Christian, for a Christian, living life in, in light of our union with Christ, it means spiritually speaking. It means living in light with reality, right? You're that's not you anymore, right? Like Jesus, like you've died to that, and Jesus made you alive, and he, and he like latched himself onto you. So let that go, man like let that old that's kind of paul's that's that's his hope here is like let that old self go you don't need that anymore. What does this mean so how does this how does this actually I told you this is supposed to be practical how does this actually help us when now in this world when things are hard and it's not just a squishy waterbed so I just that you can't plumb the depths of this y- in your entire life so I encourage you to, to go and just, like, dive deep into union with Christ. But I just have two for you. You have an internal and an external. An internal uh, application and an external application. So the internal. Um, there, are, there really are, e- for Christians, even, this is a topic., okay. There really are times for Christians when the old self feels more real than the new self. It really does feel like, isn't that who I am? Um, it's it's almost as if the enemy is whispering in our ear, like, why don't you quit acting like you're someone that you're not? You know you're not. You know you know you're not better than that. So why don't you just quit acting like you are? Well, the doctrine of union with Christ it assures us that no, no, actually this is who I am. No, I, j- Jesus has taken the old kingdom off of me, and He's put on the new kingdom. So no, Satan. They, this is what I am. Becoming more like Jesus. Becoming some of these um, some of these attributes put in like verse 12. So becoming holy and loved and compassionate and kind and gentle and humble and patient. To become these things is like becoming more who we really are. Like more true to ourself. Verse, Verse 10 gives us some encouragement about the present work of God. It says in verse 10, it says, you are being renewed. You have put off your old self, and you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. That That's like God is like painting a picture, but he's staring at the real thing, right? So he's painting us, he's renewing us, but he's looking at Jesus when he does it. Um, union with Christ, it includes active, a present, a real present sense that God is working now in your life. So since he is presently renewing you, what does that mean? That means you haven't arrived. That means that failure is still an option for you in your life. The Christian life is a life of stumbling. However, being united with Christ means that when we stumble, we're stumbling forward. We're, we're stumbling towards Christ, towards Christ's likeness. So we shouldn't be surprised at the stumbling, even the serious stumbling that surprises us. Like, how, how could I have done that, right? The Christian life is a is life of stumbling forward towards Jesus. He really is making a change in you, right? Conforming you to the image of his son. And and the change originates out of a change that he has made of you. He he is changing you, but he has made a change of you, first. So that's the internal. The union with Christ it can be and it should be a deep, deep assurance and like a and, and like a, a grace towards yourself. That like even as I'm stumbling, even as I'm frustrated with the way my Christian life is going, like I'm just going towards Jesus and 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 and. I, and he's not—he can't let me go because he can't let go of himself. So, what's the external? Um, particularly, how how does this impact our relationship with others? Union with Christ—it means that if you are united to Christ, you, Michael, are united to Christ, and I'm united to Christ. That means there's something here between us, which is inviolable and unavoidable, right? And so, when we bump up against one another, when we even seriously hurt one another, um, there is a deeper reality that's between us. There's a deeper reality that we share that we can rebuild trust and relationship on. Yeah, we, we take our bumps. We take our, we take our bruises in life. Those things are very real, and, we, and we, need, we need to feel those. But union with Christ between believers means there's a deeper reality that we can fall back on. Two people who are in Christ. As he encourages here in, in verse 13 and 14. Two people who are in Christ. They can bear with one another. They can forgive one another. In a way that the world frankly is incapable of doing. And, and in fact Jesus told his disciples. This would be one of our greatest witnesses to the world. Right, the way that we love one another. And our union with Christ assures us that no matter how hurt I am, no matter what has been I've done to others or, or has been done to me, we, we have a shared Savior that can help us to rebuild trust and love for one another. That's going that to be really hard. But, it's, but it is possible in Jesus. So... Um, If there's anything I I said tonight that, obviously, there's a lot of, like, things that are like, I don't don't understand that, right? Like, I'll I'll talk to you, right? Like, you can ask me questions if you want to. uh, I would love to hear how this message impacted you, maybe next week. um, Or if there's anything that you didn't really like, let me know, and we we can talk about that. I'm going to pray for us, and then the the band is going to come up right here. Heavenly Father, Lord. I pray that you would see this truth deep into our hearts and we would live in light of the reality that, y- that you loved us so much that you have united yourself to us. There's nothing we can do, there's nothing we can say to, to, to divorce us from that reality. And so I pray that our actions would be just captured by that, um, that vision for, f- for flourishing and fulfillment and, and our actions would be reflective of that truth. So in your name we pray, amen.
0: Thank you, Dan, for that speech, um, for the talk. Um, pray that we would all learn what true union in Christ is. Um, but for now, could you guys stand and worship with me today? And we'll get this Scooby going.
4: You're still up there looking down, there's only
0: That was great. Thank you, band. Thank you, Dan. Um, yeah, man, so much good stuff tonight. Um, we're almost done here, but I do have a couple of exciting things that I just want to throw your way. Um, Ryan, could you come on down and just give us a reminder of what is going on on Saturday?
2: Hello, my name is Walter Hardwell White. No, no, no. My name is uh, Ryan Estes, um, not Ryan Penley, but I am following in his footsteps, and I will be showing you guys a very short, little, creepy video that community team put together for the events this Saturday. So you might want to look away if you're a little scared, uh, if you're scared easily. But Yeah. Spooky. Scary. (laughs) Yeah, but that's just a little taste of what we have in store for you guys. And it doesn't spoil anything. But, yeah, our crew haunted house is this Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. Come whenever you want. It'll probably take you about 15 minutes or less or more to go through the house. So it's just come whenever, get on the sign-up sheet, and then go through the house with your group. Um, But yeah, it'll be at the shack, which is a crew guy's house, and the address is 506 Virginia Avenue. We'll put it in the community group chat, Um, which if you're not in, look to your left and look to your right. Ask any of those people and ask them if you can get added into that group chat. But yeah, for parking, uh, you're going to have to take a car. If you know somebody with a car, ask if they can take you. But if you're going there park on the side of the road there's a bunch of little streets around there will probably be limited parking so try not to come all at once but yeah also we don't have anything like demonic or spiritual in the haunted house it's uh the setting is in a prison with a mad scientist but yeah i hope you guys can make it out and it'll be a lot of fun so
0: thanks ryan Okay, guys, a couple quick final reminders. You guys have been hearing about this for a while, but also this Saturday before the haunted house is Perspective Day, which is a time mainly for juniors and seniors, um, just to kind of, if you're figuring out, like, what the heck do I do after college? If that gives you existential dread, come talk to me or Dan or Ashley Yeah, (laughs) that costume just really gets me every time. Okay, um, other than that, we have go time tomorrow and festival at 3.30. Go time is a time where crew students come together and learn how to share their faith in an appropriate way, and then they go practice that and share their faith with their peers. So if that's something that sounds interesting to you or if it sounds scary, especially if it sounds scary, I challenge you to do that because if you're scared, in my experience, I've found that typically if you're scared and you decide to go, it turns out to be a great time. So, that's my challenge to you. Okay, friends, that's all I have for you. But before you go, we are going to JMU crew it out. If this is your first time here, I'll explain what that is to you. So, you know how at the football games at first downs, people go, JMU Dukes. We do that here, except at the end, instead of saying Dukes, we say, we're going to say crew. You want to say boo instead? <laughs> JMU Boo? We can JMU boo it out. Okay. All right. So this section's going to be my J's. This section's going to be my M's. And you guys will be my U's. All right. On the count of three, let's do this thing. One, two, three, J, M, U. Have a great night, guys.